You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have J.D. Weatherspoon, Fevertree, Barrett, Tullow Oil, Burberry, and our US company of the week is Etsy. Sam, shall I kick us off with Weatherspoons? Yes. So Weatherspoons, the UK's biggest pub chain, had a trading statement for the fourth quarter this week with like-for-like sales in the first 11 weeks of the quarter four of the current financial year were minus 0.4% compared to the same pre-pandemic period in 2019. This was an improvement compared to the previous quarter when sales were minus 4%. Many people predicted a boom in pub sales when lockdowns and restrictions ended due to pent-up demand, but recovery from many companies has been slower and more laborious than anticipated. Sales of spirits were up 4.4%, cocktails up 18.6%, food up 2.1%, hotel rooms up 8.4%, and fruit and slot machines were up 16.6%, were positive in the quarter, but sales of draft ales, lagers, ciders, historically the largest contributions to pub sales, were 8% below 2019. Weatherspoon operates 48 pubs, trading as Lloyd's, which had sales of plus 6% in the period. These pubs play music, unlike the rest of the estate, mostly during weekend evenings. Contrary to expectations, sales in major city centres, apart from London, have been stronger than suburban locations or smaller towns. Weatherspoon has invested heavily in labour, repairs and marketing following the ending of restrictions in February in order to strengthen our position for the financial year beginning 1st of August 2022. Losses for the current financial year will therefore be higher than expected at approximately minus £30 million on a post-IFRS 16 basis. Although sales now match 2019, labour costs are far higher. The company is, with minor exceptions, fully staffed. Staff retention levels have improved. Pub managers have an average length of service of 13 years and 11 months. In 2019, that was 12 years and two months. And kitchen managers, 10 years and five months. And in 2019, that was eight years and one month for example. Although repairs were reduced to minimal levels during lockdowns, there's been an element of catch-up. So repair costs in full year 2022 will be around £99 million, compared with £76.9 million in 2019. Weatherspoon has invested £128 million in the acquisition of freehold reversions, 48 pubs since 2019, and of which it was previously the tenants, bringing the number of freehold pubs to 582, which is 68.3% of the estate. In addition, the company has also re-geared the leases of 15 pubs in the period, usually at the lower rents than previously applied, with fixed five-yearly rent reviews, which are significantly below the current inflation rates. Of the company's 270 leasehold pubs, 116 now have fixed rental increases. 
Weatherspoon has contracts for energy suppliers until the end of 20, full year 23 at fixed price, which predate the current spike in energy costs. As previously indicated, Weatherspoon has long-term contracts for many bar and food purchases, which will moderate the high inflationary cost increases, which have been widely reported. As has also been previously indicated, Weatherspoon has fixed the floating interest cost of 70 or floating rate of interest cost of 770 million pounds of its bank's loans using swaps at between 1.02% and 1.61% until November 2031. Weatherspoon believes that overall costs will increase by less than the current rate of inflation in full year 23. And they've also said the importance of being equal. The main long-term challenge to the pub industry is the tax disparity with supermarkets, which pay zero VAT in respect of food sales, whereas pubs pay 20%. This, this disparity enables supermarkets to subsidise selling the lower price of beer, wine and spirits to the detriment of pubs. Supermarkets also pay lower business rates per pint than pubs. A direct consequence is that pub share of beer sales, for example, has dropped from 90% to less than 50% in recent decades. In fact, supermarkets are far more profitable than pubs. Tesco's is probably more profitable than the entire pub industry. Even so, like Monty Python's Dennis Moore, successive governments have robbed the poor, in brackets, pubs, and given to the rich, in brackets, supermarkets. A core principle of taxation is that it should be fair and equitable. So this is... You could imagine this is coming directly from Tim Martin um, as I'm reading this. Uh, a core principle of taxation is it should be fair and equitable. Yet most large pub companies in the UK have remained silent on this vital issue, as their most recent trading statements demonstrate. However, surveys by Weatherspoon in the past have demonstrated great fervour for tax equality amongst individual tenants and free traders. The lack of vocal support for equality is probably an example of boardrooms being out of touch with those on the front line, always a bad sign for any industry. Until there is tax equality between different types of businesses on the high street, pubs will always be fighting with one hand tied behind their back and will provide less in the way of jobs or taxes than they otherwise might. Outlook. Weatherspoon chairman Tim Martin said, when COVID-19 struck in early 2020, most governments, with the exception of Sweden, abandoned their who-approved pandemic plans and copied China's uh, approach by locking down. There have been many unintended consequences. Large numbers of people, as has widely been reported, have left the worst workforce, mainly through early retirement. Many people now work from home rather than from offices, which has had a significant impact on transport and uh, hospitality businesses, among other examples. The fear factor used by governments to encourage compliance with lockdowns and restrictions has also had, a linger, had lingering after effects, with many people uh, remaining cautious about leaving their homes. Inflation, mainly a result of money printing, which was activated by governments and central banks to finance lockdowns, has proved to be far higher and more intractable than anyone anticipated. Weatherspoon has tried to make a long-term approach to these issues, investing heavily in the workforce, in buildings, in marketing, and in contracts with landlords and suppliers, which will hopefully create a solid base for future growth. 
the company remains cautiously optimistic about the future prospects. And there ends the trading statement. Valuation-wise, Weatherspoon has a market capitalization of £699 million and trades at around 13 and a half times earnings. As a customer, I do very much like going to Weatherspoons. I think it has a good selection of drinks. It has a very slick table service app, which was around pre-pandemic, and it worked very well sort of, I suppose, after the pandemic when we were having some restrictions, um, but things were opening up. And I like the Curry Club on Thursday nights. It's going to be tough going forward with the cost of living and also perhaps those slightly older clients that you would see in, or customers, I should say, that you would see in Weatherspoons who might, you know, drink more of the lagers, the pints of ciders, and whether they've returned or not. I think they've sort of, the indication is that they haven't really returned and those sort of outside the big cities in sort of I suppose smaller towns suburban locations they have seen those sales fall so I think that is a bit worrying whether you see some uh, like the sort of the city centres where they're coming back whether you see other people who might you know as the cost of living sort of squeezes trade down to Weatherspoons that, you know, that, that might be a sort of a glimmer of hope. But I think it is, it is worrying for Weatherspoons, sort of the, the macro side of it, on the back of the pandemic, which is sort of, you know, decimated things um, for a time, probably is reflected in the price. But Tim Martin himself highlights some sort of good points with those very small margins. And I suppose that the structure that does favour companies like Tesco's and when Tesco's is not trading at you know, a huge amount more you might think well would I just buy Tesco's which you know is almost hinting is sort of uh, in the current environment a better business I think that's the the difficulty but it does you know have things going for it and certainly compared with other pubs and having you know long-term leases um, or owning at least two-thirds of the premises you know that's structurally puts Weatherspoon in a better position so I think it's probably in summary the best pub that you can buy but I wouldn't be buying a pub Sam I agree um I've I've gone on for a while but yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I wouldn't buy a pub either so yeah there's not really anything spoons could do to entice me as much as I enjoy it as a customer it's just not a business I'd want to be in I think they're doing the best they probably are as well run as you could be for a pub. Yeah. But it's still just not an attractive industry. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that the debt is at such a low interest rate and they've managed to fix it to 2031. I think that's quite good. I'm surprised the bank did that. It feels like Tim Martin, I mean, that was almost a speech from Tim Martin, I think, really. Um, Even even though it was only the the latter bit was actually a quote. Um, I think that you you could hear him giving that speech in the trading statement. But I think he's a shrewd operator. And, you know, like you say, fixing uh, that long-term debt. Well, they'll win win on that if inflation eats away at that. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah. And then the energy that they fixed the energy for a longer period of time and that pre, you know, predated uh, the spike that we've had. I mean, obviously they will be hit with it when that ends, mm. but it does show that he, he, yeah, he's, he runs it as well, almost as well as you can imagine, you know, as you can, as anyone, as anybody could. But yeah, I think, I, I think we're being, you know, we don't like the industry, but we think it's fantastic. You know, well as, run as business, customers, yeah. it's, oh yeah. 
I actually I thought he's a quality point. Um, I, I don't know about the Robin Hood comparison, mm. but I did think that the basic point that if, if they're paying VAT and supermarkets aren't, I do actually yeah. agree yeah. with him. I do yeah. think that is putting them at a dis- disadvantage. Um, and, it, it, you know, politically, if you want to sort of keep the high street going and have, you know, pubs, albeit, you know, chain pubs there, you, you know, you're not you're not going to do that if you've got, you know, if they if they're if they're essentially uncom- or almost uncompetitive um, because of that. And I suppose as, as he makes the point, you know, very well, people if they're going to cut costs as well and then drinking at home, even if it is sort of some, some of it might be safety reasons, it, it, it does seem an unfair advantage that uh, the supermarkets have. Yeah. Or a disadvantage that the pubs have. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Right. Anyway. Should we um, move on? Should we continue the, the alcohol yes. theme? Well, yeah. The the mi- mixer, yeah, yeah. So, soft drinks, technically. Oh, uh, yeah. Fever Tree have come out with a trading statement. And they said that half-year revenue rose 14% to 160.9 million, led by Europe, but reflecting growth across all regions. Bar and restaurant sales showed promising signs of a recovery, and consumer demand remained strong. As a result, revenue guidance of 355 to 365 million for the full year remains intact. However, cost headwinds have significantly worsened in recent months, specifically relating to freight and glass costs. First half gross margin is expected to be around 37%, but that's forecast to fall by the end of the year to 33 to 35%. Full year cash profits is now expected to be 37.5 to 45 million, down from 63 to 66 million. And the shares fell 27.9% following the announcement. They also said that UK revenue grew in the half to 53.5 million, driven by a recovery in bar and restaurant sales. Sales in shops decreased 21% as demand rebalanced following the prior year when lockdowns were in effect. In the US, demand remained strong and revenue grew 9% to 40.1 million. Labour shortages and port congestion meant inventory wasn't high enough to service demand. Increased reliance on shipping from the UK meant the group was more exposed to freight costs, which have increased 50% this year. Sales from both shops and bars and restaurants have increased since 2019. European revenue rose 31% to 52.4 million, driven by the recovery of bar and restaurant sales in Southern Europe. Progress continues in shop sales as premiumization trends across the region work to the group's favour. Rest of the world revenue grew 5% to 15 million as the group maintained market share in Australia and Canada. In terms of the valuation, the company trades at a forward PE ratio of 27.6. However, that forward PE ratio is based on the reduced earnings so if you think this is a temporary problem you could argue it's artificially low and the average p ratio since listing in 2014 is 47.2 and the prospective yield for the next 12 months is 1.6 percent my view is there's not really anything in this trade it's not a good trading statement but there's not really anything in there that i would be blaming fever tree for and saying well that's poor execution I, I don't think there's a lot they can do about what's going on. I think the issues they're encountering will be temporary. So over the longer term, I'd expect the gross margins to come back up. They are profitable. So it's not like they're in any serious problem, trouble. They can ride it out. I think the market's reaction is a bit short-sighted. 
And I actually think it's now starting to look attractive. I don't think it's at a point where I'd actually consider taking out a position. I appreciate the PE is on effectively temporarily reduced earnings, but at 27, I'd probably still want it a bit lower. But that being said, <laughs> the stock's yeah. now at 872p, and that compares to a 52-week high of 2,871. Yeah. So it has come down a lot. It's down about two-thirds. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on the results and the statement? I mean, similar, similar to how you've outlined, I think it does highlight when you've got such highly rated shares and fever tree being that massive growth story can it crack can it sort of dominate the us and it's not to say that that won't happen but then when there is a little bit of well it's quite a lot of bad news but a little bit of bad news um they the shares can re-rate quite drastically as we've seen and like as as you've highlighted but no i do i do actually like it i have liked it for a long time but the the bit that i I struggle with has always been like has been the valuation and i suppose that it was based on uh at least initially based on one drink which was sort of i suppose gin and tonic and fever tree being that premium tonic to go with it it's you know diversified since then but largely as as you've said it's it there's not a lot fever tree can do about the the freight and glass costs it's um it is beholden to some of those inflationary pressures and they are imp- impacting on earnings i think probably you'd have to be brave to to buy shares but if, if you were taking that longer term view or if you already own shares I, I wouldn't be selling them yeah I, I think it's interesting as well because with the US revenue going up nine percent obviously part of the reason you buy them is a pretty saturated in the UK but you think well if they can crack the US that could be that could go up a lot and the problem is mm-hmm. if we can't service the demand we don't know what the US growth rate's going to be because it's not yeah. going to be nine percent a year if they're not having uh, yeah. issues with actually, well, if they're not having supply issues, yeah. Um, so not it's hard dissimilar you, you, to not yeah, not dissimilar to Boohoo. Yeah, yeah, but I I don't know. I think I think for me, maybe if the shares fell, probably about another third. So it was at a forward <laughs> PE of about twenty. <laughs> I'd possibly. I'd possibly take a serious look at it then. Yeah, um, yeah. But a, a forward PE of twenty-seven. It's for me still a bit pricey. Yeah, yeah. Although it is down two thirds. I know it's it is. I think it, yeah, you got to be brave with these things, don't you? Really, it's um, yeah. And I mean, like that with Boohoo, and well, we both we weren't trying to catch the bottom, but when we thought it was it's good because we didn't. Yeah. Well, I was just going to come on to that. It's it's it was down a lot when we bought it from sort of the highs, but it's been down about another fifty percent. So it just does just highlight that yeah and i think that's why it's important to like base it on what you think the valuation should be rather than yeah how much it's fallen there's no yeah. point getting too because it could fall by two-thirds and still be expensive it doesn't mean it's cheap and your long-term um, yeah in, in the fundamentals of the company and equally you know we've got like if you look at a business like airtel africa that's doubled in the last year and it's still cheap because the earnings yeah. have gone up so it's not yeah. it's not just the share price psychologically those things can be very troubling the share price 
Yeah, it's so, one you just want to you you, buy it. Buy it and, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Not look at the ticker anyway. Yeah, read read, read the news, but don't. But, yeah, not not the ticker. Sometimes it's difficult to avoid that. <laughs> it comes up in the news. Okay, so on to Barrett, which is the UK's largest house builder listed on the FTSE 100. They had a full year trading statement. Oh, a full a full year trading update out this week with the group delivering 17,908 new homes for the year, ended 30th of June 2022, which is up 3.9% and broadly in line with 2019 levels. The group's net private reservation rate was also up 3.8% to 0.81 per active outlet per week. And the average selling price for private homes was up from 325,000 to 341,000, and up eighty, oh, sorry, up eight point five percent in affordable housing to one hundred fifty nine thousand pounds. Forward sales were four point three percent higher at three point six billion pounds, which amounts to thirteen thousand five hundred seventy nine homes. And the private average selling price for forward homes was three hundred seventy five thousand four hundred pounds, with house price inflation and higher number of London homes helping that. Over the year, Barrett has approved the purchase of 19,089 plots for a total of £1.4 billion, and land approvals in the next financial year are expected to be in the region of between 18,000 and 20,000. Meanwhile, build cost inflation was around 6%. However, it's currently running closer to not between 9 and 10%. And the group have introduced an accelerated 5% pay increase from the 1st of April this year and a further temporary salary supplement of £1,000 to all employees below senior management phased over the coming six months to the 31st of December 22. Underlying profit before tax is expected to be in the region of between £1.05 billion and £1.06 billion, which is slightly higher than market expectations. And at the end of the period, net cash came in at £1.1 billion, down from £1.3 billion last year as a result of increased land spend and the £250 million acquisition of Gladman Developments. Money owed to land creditors was up around 10% to £730 million. And in terms of outlook, the group has said... We've delivered an excellent operational and financial performance this year. And as a result, we expect to deliver full year 22 adjusted profit before tax in the range of 1.05 billion and 1.06 billion, slightly ahead of current market consensus expectations at uh, 1.048 billion. Um, full year adjusted profit before tax in 21 was 919.7 million pounds. We also continue to buy land at a minimum 23% gross margin hurdle rate and target a minimum return on capital employed of 25%. In terms of valuation, Barrett has a market cap of £4.81 billion and trades at just over seven times earnings with a forward price to book of just 0.8 times and yields 9.6%, which is currently covered 2.25 2.25 times uh, adjusted net income. I mean, I thought the numbers were decent with demand still strong. However, 
I suppose it's probably a little bit too early to see the impact of inflation, which is now higher and higher interest rates. And as we all expect them to, to go up this coming year and going forward. Um, so I suppose it, 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 we're waiting to see the effects of that being borne out and I suppose the potential recession that the market is, is, is expecting. It's reflected in the price, but as with the other household uh, house builders, I'd be bullish still on the long-term fundamentals of the sector, despite those headwinds. So uh, I think it, it was probably a better, better than expected trading statement, to be honest. Sam, your thoughts? I agree. I think I think this is a good statement. I think the dividend's very attractive, but because it's linked to the amount they earn, it could well come down if we're starting to see if we're getting more inflation coming through in the current year. And they're not able to fully pass that on. Yeah, I don't really have that much more to say about it because I'd just be repeating what we've said. We've done a few house builders recently, so I've, I think I've already. I think people know what we think about the industry generally. But yeah, I, th- I think this is a good statement, and I think it's a good business. I'm just going to get a drink, a cold drink, because I'm very thirsty, and then no we, can, we can crack on with your favourite industry. But yeah, I'm I'm actually impressed. I mean, we uh, not I won't go on about it, but. I'm quite impressed with a lot of the brewers and even like Diageo when they do these non-alcoholic ones, because this Brooklyn, I've seen some reviews of it. It's 0.4%. So it's got like, I don't know what it, 0.4 units or something, but it, te- I mean, it tastes good and it's very refreshing and you can sort of, you can have one in the evening and you don't have to feel sort of guilty about it or, you know, oh, I'm drinking a bit too much. It's, it's um... what, I, what I really think is really clever about it is it gets them around the advertising ban. So you can it's advertise be- oh. like they can advertise the zero percent on like the football it's, and stuff. It's just know, exactly the same I, I with know. a little tiny zero percent. Yeah, bottom. and it's just like it's the same brand, exactly the same branding, and it's in the, you see it in the in Formula One as well. They're like it's all about yeah the like Australia and the different zero percent Heineken. Well, Heineken, you know, and I've I noticed also with a Formula One that they like McLaren are sponsored by well one of their sponsors is uh, you know British Americans vape brand like Velo and uh, or um, Views um, which I think is again is quite smart I suppose that's not actually the cigarettes but um, it's 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 interesting and actually again not not to go uh, we'll get we'll get back to the show but the tobacco companies they haven't they uh, they've been pretty resilient to the inflation. I mean, I suppose you'd say, well, it's an elastic sort of pricing, but uh, the one the, the one industry that hasn't been pulled back. Well, if you're addicted to cigarettes, you will generally yeah. pay what it costs. Well, well I know, but, it, 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 but I, I suppose what the point they're making, though, is that like you've got a highly defensive industry, and then when times like now are tough, they are quite resilient. Um mm. And it's just showing that. It's, I'm not saying that a great investment or anything like that, but um, it is just, it does highlight that. And more so than like your Unilevers even, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. But again, you're not addicted. I'm addicted to my Unilever products, but uh, <laughs> most most people can probably trade down. Right. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to Tullow Oil. Right, Tullow Oil. Yeah. So I think it might be a debut on the show, or if it's been on before, it wasn't particularly memorable. So they have come out with great, trades. great introduction. Great intro. Well, yeah, I'm not going to hide my bias against the oil and gas okay. industry. They've come out with a trading statement, and first half production was in line with expectations, and drilling performance across the portfolio was said to be strong. 
to those on track to meet its full year guidance of 59 to 65,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. A shareholder prospectus for the planned merger with Capricorn Energy is expected to be published in the fourth quarter with a vote on the deal around the end of the year. Tullow has hedged 42,500 barrels per day this year and 33,100 barrels per day in 2023 and 11,300 barrels per day in 2024. So that means that the, the price they're going to get for those is basically locked in now. The group still expects to generate $200 million a year in free cash, $200 million this year in free cash flow, assuming an average oil price of $95 a barrel. This will be weighted towards the second half of the year because of an arbitration payment and acquisition. In Ghana, seven new wells have been delivered with average cost per well 10% below the average expected well. Net production of around 31,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day was in line with expectations at the Jubilee field, while the 10 fields saw net production of 12,500 per day. In Gabon, the Simba expansion project has resulted in increased production from the Simba field of about 6,000 barrels per day in the first half of the year. A two-month shutdown, which had been planned for March, has been postponed to August for the Ivory Coast. And Tullo is still searching for an investor for its Kenyan development plans and is confident there will be progress in the short term. In terms of the valuation, the business trades at a forward PE ratio of 2.1, and that compares to a 10-year average forward PE of 12.1, and it's not currently paying a dividend. Now, even for an oil and gas company, that is incredibly cheap. And if you look at the last five years' financials, it becomes very quickly clear why. So revenues fallen from 1.7 billion to 1.2. Profit, bef- well, we'll go with um, go with operating profit. Offit, operating profit has been all over the place. It basically broke even in 2017. Uh, it made half a billion in 2018, lost 1.3 billion in 2019, lost a billion in 2020, and made half a billion in 2021. It's got a lot of interest. It's paying about 300 million a year in interest. So that's sucking out a lot of the profit, or most of the profits actually on the few years, on the years when they have delivered them. Uh, there's a lot of debt on the balance sheet. It's got negative net assets, uh, which is why it can't pay a dividend. It just looks a bit of a mess. I don't know much about the merger and how what the company is expected to look like after, but it probably can't look any worse. <laughs> so for me, this would just be, I, 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 mean, I wouldn't like it anyway, but if, if we compare it to something like Shell, um, I, I would never ever consider something in this state compared to Shell. If I did want exposure to the industry, I would not be picking Tullow Oil. John, what are your thoughts on the statement and the state of the business? Yeah, yeah, just sort of uninvestable. I would have thought. I mean, maybe traders would be interested in it on the basis of this merger and things, but I know I, I just if I wanted an oil company, I have Shell, but I would buy a quality one. Yeah, um, right. I don't think there's much more to say. <laughs> absolutely not. But okay, sure, yeah. so on to a higher quality business, Burberry. Uh, the British designer listed on the FTSE 100 had a trading statement out for the first quarter with store sales rising 1% as the lockdowns in mainland China hit. 
Chinese sales were down 35% year on year in the 13 weeks to the 2nd of July, and around 40% of its distribution in China had effectively been closed at the start of the first quarter. Overall, though, retail revenues were ahead by 5% to £505 million, and excluding mainland China, comparable store sales grew 16% with higher domestic spending in other regions. The latest collections have been well received, particularly leather goods, which were up 21%, and outerwear, which was up 19%. Comparable sales in Europe were up 47% in the quarter and above pre-pandemic levels, with the sales to American tourists rebounding. The group is on track to open 65 newly designed stores in the 2023 financial year. Going forward, Burberry is expecting high single-digit revenue growth and 20% margins in the medium term. However, they cautioned the current macroeconomic environment creates some near-term uncertainty. In terms of valuation, Burberry has a market capitalization of around £6.3 billion and trades at about 14 and a half times earnings, compared with the 10-year average of 20. It currently yields just over 3%. I suppose the, the big story with this statement is the impact of the lockdowns in China, um, which is really um, a big detriment to the group with the zero COVID policy that's going on over there. And it's also huge uncertainty going forward and something that's just completely beyond its control. I mean, from the rest of the world, that was very strong performance. And the new chief executive, Jonathan Ackroyd from Versace is making bold changes and cutting off ties with non-luxury partners, stopping in-store discounts and reducing outlet activity and at the same time investing in the digital and their own their own premium stores in order to boost margins and have yeah a, a greater proportion of essentially full price sales. So I think that's certainly a very, very sensible strategy. It is just that big question mark over China. I would like to think that in all parts of the world, we'll be moving forward beyond COVID. So I'd probably on the the much longer term outlook be bullish on that. But when you get a large part of your revenue coming from China, you could expect the results to be a bit erratic in the meantime. And then I suppose like everything else, there is the macro situation. And if there is sort of, uh, I suppose, a global recession, Burberry potentially being uh, or, or being hit by that. But I think the big thing is China. Overall, though, I like it as a company and I think it's a quality business. And I like this new chief executive, too, uh, and the direction he's taking it. And at 14 and a half times earnings, it's not it's not expensive. Sam, your thoughts? Pretty similar. I, I thought this was a good statement. Obviously, China's going to hit them. But again, when it's when it's a factor that's outside their control, I don't really have an issue with that. I agree the current CEO is doing a good job. I think the strategy is the right one. And in the last couple of times we've looked at it, it's it's starting to feed through. You can see the results mm. coming through now. This is, a, if you look at the stock, it's not moved. For, it's, sort of, it's not really done much for ages. I'll just get it up. Yeah, it's not. It's up like 30% in 10 years. Mm. And in five years, it's basically flat. 
So it's, it's not really done anything for years. And I think we're now starting to see some signs of life for it from it. Mm. Since we last looked at it, it's come down in, in price quite a bit. And I think it looks attractive. I think it's a much better business than it was a few years ago. And you're getting it at the same price. I, I think if you can look past the Chinese lockdowns, which will not go on forever, I, I think there's a good business in there. So no, I, I like it. One for the watch list. It is, yeah, actually. It's I, it's impressed me the last couple of times we've looked at it. I think it would possibly do quite well in an inflationary environment because the margins are so strong, just with it being luxury. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, yeah, definitely good enough for the watch list. What about you? Great. Yeah. No, I, it, 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 it's go, it's it's going on as we speak. <laughs> so, right. I know. I, I like. I, I like it. Yeah. Okay. So time for our US company of the week, Etsy. Yes, Etsy. So Etsy have, well, they've not come out with any results for about three months. They're probably about to come out with their Q2 results, but I wanted to take a look at Q1, which are now three months old. So, or is it two months? But either way, they're pretty old results now. Oh, no, they're only two months old. But yeah, they're, they're quite old. But uh, the shares have been absolutely hammered recently. So I wanted to take a look for that reason. So we'll just look at them because they are the most recent set of results. So in the first quarter, consolidated gross merchandise sales was 3.3 billion and all these figures are in dollars, up 3.5% year over year, while Etsy Marketplace gross merchandise sales was 2.8 billion down 2% year over year and up 177% compared to the first quarter of 2019. The Etsy marketplace acquired approximately 7 million new buyers, continuing to be a meaningfully elevated rate of new buyer acquisition when compared with pre-pandemic levels. Non-US gross merchandise sales for the Etsy marketplace was 45% of the overall figure, and this increased 5% year over year on a currency neutral basis. Consolidated revenue was 579.3 million, and that was up 5.2% compared to the first quarter of 2021, with a take rate of 17.8%. Net income was 86.1 million, down 40.1% year over year, with diluted earnings per share of 60 cents for the quarter. The decline in net income was primarily due to increased employee compensation related expenses, as total employee headcount increased approximately 71% year over year which includes increased headcount from the acquisitions of Depop and Elo7. Non-GAP adjusted EBITDA was 159.2 million with non-GAP adjusted EBITDA margin of 27.5%. Etsy ended the quarter with 1 billion in cash and equivalents and short and long-term investments. Under Etsy's stock repurchase program, they repurchased about $63 million worth of shares the stock in the quarter however that's on a market cap of about 10 billion so it's not a huge amount in terms of the valuation it now trades at a market cap of 10.48 billion and it's at a PE ratio of 27 so within the last 12 months it's come down from about 300 dollars a share it's now at 82 it's actually been as low as it's been as low as 67 i think it's a well i think it's a very good business I think to maintain the lockdown figures, I know it's only up slightly on them, but I think to maintain the lockdown gains is very good. We have seen some businesses where they've actually started to give some of those back and that's not happened with Etsy. I think a lot of returns, I think a lot of 
sales, a lot of growth's probably been pulled forward by the pandemic, but it doesn't look like it's going away. And I think it's still going to be a, a well-growing business in the future. And I think it's, I mean, where's it trading compared to pre-pandemic? I mean, it's, it's a business that's more than, it's more than double the business it was pre-pandemic. And the stock's at 82 compared to about, it was 57 in February, 2020. So, so you're getting a much better business and it's not, it, it's pretty reasonable. I think a P of 27 for this business, the amount of growth I think is still in it, churning out free cash flow. I, I think it's a very, very good business and I'm biased because it's one of my biggest holdings, although a lot less big than it was a year ago. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation compared to last time we saw it? I mean, I think very good results and very tough comparators as well. Um, I think it's particularly impressive when you're comparing it with 2019 results. It's a business that I've liked for a while, but the issue has always been that's you know eye-watering valuation. At 27, that's much, much more reasonable. And it's one that I've been sort of umming and ahhing about for a while now, certainly over the last few weeks. I haven't yet bought shares, but I'm very close. Oh, I know we'll get you one day <laughs> next time. Yeah. Um, um, but it, it's, it's never been that I've disliked it. It's just been, you know, so expensive, um, yeah. which is, is, is difficult. But um, yeah, oh, and it'll be interesting cheap, to vital see. Oil. Well, I don't, I don't think it has, it doesn't have to be cheap, but it's just slightly, a slightly fairer valuation, I think. It's when it's what, what how high did um, the uh, forward earnings get? Yeah, the peak. I don't think it, I don't think it was too bad. I don't think you ever got. It maybe got to like I want to say about 70, 70. But for the growth at that point, it was growing one hundred percent a year. That was yeah, revenue. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You could make the argument a lot. You know, more than a lot of that. It wasn't inconceivable. The earnings would more than double because it's just yeah. it's so profitable. A lot of the costs would stay the same. I mean, I actually thought it was 70. I thought I wasn't buying any more of it, but I thought you could, I was more than happy to sit and hold it. I still, I still thought it could do quite well over the next five yeah. years, but I like it a lot more, obviously at 82 than I did at $300 a share. Yeah. Um, I bet. So I've, I bet. I've already added to it. I think, I think I added around $70 and I have also okay. added, I also added, I also added it about $150. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't be against adding again in the future, actually. I do like it a lot. So, Very good. So, yeah. Company of the week, then. Uh, I will exclude Etsy on the basis that I already own it. So, if I'm excluding Etsy, it would probably be Burberry for me. What about you? Yeah, actually Burberry, for the reasons we outlined earlier. But, yeah, I, I, like, I like Burberry a lot. Well, if Fever Tree carries on dropping at the rate it is, I say the rate it is, it's not going yeah. to carry on dropping at 27% a day, but if it carries on dropping, <laughs> ne next time we look at it, it's, it, it could be about there for me, actually. Yeah. Um, it's getting yeah, to a yeah, point yeah. where I'd actually be interested in it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, well, it's ex exciting to be a stock picker at the moment. It is, yeah. Too much choice, that's the problem. Yeah. Which is a nice problem to have. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice problem to have, yeah. Better than the problem of your portfolio okay. going down all the time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, just don't look at that. Okay, well, thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. 
Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.